On tonight's episode, we're celebrating something we all love on Valentine's Day, and that's heavy metal. Join the Vernomatic Metal Walt and Ian O'Rourke as we explore the history of metal, the year 1985. Next on Metal Mayhem ROC. WLFE TV Radio. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. Thursday night, time for a brand new episode. We invite you to visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. That's your one-stop shopping for everything related to the podcast. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Do us a favor, download some past shows, rate, review, and subscribe. Recent episodes, we had Nigel Glockler of Saxon last week. We had a special Johnny Z of Megaforce tribute show with Carl Kennedy of The Rods. And a couple weeks back, we had Tony Martin of Black Sabbath fame, his new solo album. Sign up for our email list. This is our way of staying in touch with you with weekly updates on new shows and free giveaways. Exciting things in the Metal Mayhem ROC camp. Uh, Tonight, we're continuing our History of Metal series, the year 1985. And we're also, this is the first episode where you could watch this on our YouTube channel. Just simply put in Metal Mayhem ROC in YouTube, and we've segued into that platform. Now you'll be able to watch these shows on the channel. You'll get to see what I look like. Metal Walt, Ian O'Rourke, you know, we do our best to uh, uh, build up the show and make it bigger and better every year. Let's see our media partners. Uh, Monday nights, I have a live radio show on Metal Devastation Radio. And on the weekends, our friend Mark James, longtime broadcaster of metal shows. He has two kick-ass shows, Friday night's Metal Mark's Vault and Saturday night, Metal Mark's Audio Aggression. So again, go back to the website, MetalMayhemROC.com, and links and info on all these platforms are right there. So we're going to take a little break, a little word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Metal Walton, Ian O'Rourke, and myself for the History of Metal 1985. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Hey, what's going on, listeners of Metal Devastation Radio? Vernomatic here, inviting you to get those horns up and to join us live Monday night, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time for Metal Mayhem ROC Live. We crack the vaults open and play the best of the metal for the last 50 years. Get in the chat room, meet other bangers from around the world, send me a request, and I'll get it on for you. That's Metal Mayhem ROC Live with me, the Vernomatic. Monday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on MetalDevastationRadio.com.
Well, good evening, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there. The Vernomatic here, along with Metal Walt and Ian O'Rourke from the band Motorlord. Hey, guys, how are you? What's going on there, Verno? What's going on there, Metal Walt? Hey, guys, what's up? Uh, just, I like the new backdrops. They're yeah, looking cool. That's some good work. You know, props to the uh, Metal Mayhem ROC art team. So tonight we're celebrating Valentine's Day with a dear subject to all our hearts, the history of metal. Walt, what do we got? What year are we doing tonight? We're doing 85. We're at the midpoint of the 80s. Yep, we've covered uh, a lot of a lot of stuff already. 85 is another one of them years. And yeah, and then we have uh, the live aid factor. So uh, lots to talk about today. The mid 80s, you know, like uh, in pre-production, Ian and I were talking about what came around in the mid '80s. A lot of uh, fluorescent floral shirts, you know, tiger stripes. <laughs> you know, Paul Stanley's wearing pink gloves. Oh yeah, body yeah. glove and just oh yeah, a lot of you know a lot of crap. So what we're gonna do tonight because the '80s are in full force. There's just a lot, a lot of bands, a lot of music. So we're calling an audible, and what we decided to do was just make a list of everything we're familiar with and really what we want to share. We're not going to be here all night, but we are going to interject our opinions, our emotions, and our takes on some of these bands. So right off the bat, I'm going to get things started with possibly, you know, let's call them the uh, old guard and the bands that have been around a while. You know, we got ACDC release and fly on the wall. Um, 1985, they're could say going through the motions not really much there you know that album flying the wall i think it starts with that cartoon cover got a little uh you know goofy if you will uh mutt lang isn't producing malcolm and angus are still trying to do that i had a couple songs sink the pink um i think um the title track flying the wall and a couple other ones really wasn't that memorable Aerosmith doing Done With Mirrors. Again, this is the spinning of the wheel period before they got into the uh, later 80s with the pumps and get a grip and all that. And Ian, right off the bat, you said you had a problem with the Aerosmiths later on. What, what was your beef with Aerosmith in the late 80s? Well, I the biggest thing that really annoyed me with Aerosmith was the uh, introduction to outside writers and ghost writers. They, they kind of stepped away from being the blues based hard rock band with that kind of streety, you know, you know, they shared that kinship with the New York dolls early on um, with some of that, you know, Rolling Stones mimic. And uh, they lost that. They, they lost it huge and they didn't try to retain any of it. And even with the stuff that they were doing, it was a little bit more rocking just kind of came off as this is us trying to do somebody else's music and it i didn't really care for it well it's about 30 seconds longer than done with mirrors really deserved to be talked about but you're right they, they, they you know they lost their uh they got neutered if you will uh let's see you know that's really about it we're going to concentrate on the on the big gun so i'm going to send it over to walt and have him start off any ideas about 85 what was your uh well, what were your go-to releases in 85? Well, since we started talking a couple of minutes ago about the uh, the clothing of 85 and all the 
Miami Vices and all that crap that was on TV, right? But we loved it all, right? We lived it and we loved it, right? So um, let's just get on. I don't know if I loved it. I lived it. <laughs> well, we but we loved it at that period. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know any better. Kiss, Kiss releases Asylum, right? And come on, guys, what's not, you know what can be more absurd than the the the, the artwork and the cover of uh, Asylum? I mean, that thing was really pathetic. It looked like freaking transvestites with with purple and blue and pink lipstick on. It was like caricatures of them. I mean, it was just really really bad. However, the album, I mean, okay, it is what it is, right? I feel like most of those 80s albums, the One Friar, you know, uh, and then, uh, you know, Crazy Nights, I feel like they all had a couple good tracks on there, but nothing really long-lasting. But, you know, this album, I don't know, it was it was good to me, you know? It, well, at least there was three or four songs that were good to me. I mean, you had, who didn't like Tears of Falling? I think it had some good guitar work and... The video was cool. Paul Stanley kind of doing the whole, uh, you know, windshield wiper thing at the end. And, you know, uh, who wants to be lonely and all night. I mean, they were pretty cool tracks, but, you know, in general, it fell flat. It was just kind of like one of them albums, you know, it had two or three decent tracks and then it kind of went nowhere. And they would just stay in this formula for a while. You know, but again, like I said last episode, everybody loved Kiss in the 80s. They were back. They were a new version of the band and... You know, they were cool again, you know, doing arenas and that stuff. So it was hard to really argue that this was a flop by any means, you know? Well, tell you the truth. I liked that uh, earlier period, Creatures of the Night, Lick It Up, oh, yeah. and um, Animalize. I thought those three albums had some balls to them. Mark St. John on Animalize was a fantastic guitarist. Those, those those songs still had balls, but like when you talk about Asylum, all right, Up All Night, uh, that's a terrible song. I, um, yeah. Um, Tears are falling. I, I disagree with you. I'm like, I don't think Animalize was anything special. I think it's kind of all cut from the same cookie cutter uh, mold. All three albums, in fact. I think that and Crazy Nights, all cut from the same mold. Two oh, or three God. good tracks in the album, filler. filler I forgot about Crazy Nights. Maybe that's the yeah. one I'm thinking about. That one was terrible. Crazy Nights was yeah. was god awful. <laughs> we'll just skip over that when we get to. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Enough of Asylum. That that wasn't really happening. Uh, well, let's go over to. Uh, and this is going to take even less time. Bon Jovi, never a fan. I give him props for how he started writing that killer uh, song "Runaway" in the middle of the night as he was cleaning the. Studios have a 17-year-old, but never a big, big uh, fan of the band. Uh, Ian, which give us a little background on this. And remember, not a lot. No. My uh, <laughs> girlfriends, I had two girls that I dated in high school. Both of them loved Bon Jovi. So I heard a lot of it. I, I mean, in and out of love, I mean, is it the worst written song ever? No. Um, there were a couple of, you know, songs that they had off the album that uh, were you know, kind of floating around at the time. I really had no, I didn't have any big love for Bon Jovi. I just, I, I didn't, there wasn't enough oomph for me, you know, especially being coming from Van Halen. Sorry. I just, no, I enough. agree. agree. I couldn't, I couldn't second your opinions. I think uh, being a Jersey guy, they were all the rage. I mean, in this, just when you hear the album title, 7,800 Degrees Fahrenheit, you think back, oh my God, that was Bon Jovi, the beginning of their heyday. And then you go look at the album and you're like, well, there was no hit song really. Yeah, In and Out of Love, Tokyo Road was okay. But the rest of it, 
it. It was just them kind of growing up the ladder. That was really it, and, and getting a name for themselves. What was it? The, the product wasn't great. No, the product wasn't great. But was it the hair? Was it the look? Was it the 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 JBJ smile? It, it was it, that had to be think, it. Yeah, I think that yeah. uh, the 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 mayhem that 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 ensued from them was all it, and it. You know, you liken it to something like, uh, you know, uh, Donny Osmond or Leif Garrett back in the 70s. You know, these guys were out there. They looked good. They're cute. The girls were going crazy. At least from a guy perspective, there wasn't enough integrity in the music. It was all about writing a pop song, which is not always a bad thing. No, made him a rich man and toured the world and, you know... And it's the story in Jersey. They were the story, right? Because yeah. again, we're in the biggest metropolitan area in the country, right? They're they're yep. kicking on the heels. He's friends with Springsteen, same neck of the woods, right? They grew up in the clubs, and you know they they're the hard work middle class guys that work at the factories, you know. And everybody loved them because they rooted them on for that. They were basically just copying the script of Bon Jovi. No offense, and yep. that was part of it. Yeah. All right, JBJ, uh, to the bench. Uh, Ian, um, your turn. What's on your list? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about a band that probably is near and dear to all of us would be Dokken. Okay, Under Lock and Key was probably one of my, I mean, to this day, I still listen to it, probably one of my all-time favorite albums at the time. Being a guitar guy, being into all of the peers that were around with Eddie Van Halen or through that scene and the guys that everyone talked about, I went apeshit for this album and I loved it from top to bottom. There was not, you know, yeah, you got to deal with the ballads. They were all putting them out at the time. Um, they were trying to show the other side of their creativity, but I thought that these guys were just the shit and they were one of the bands that were on the top of my list. And this album, I can remember, I think I almost wore the tape out because I would play it so much back in the day. Walt, your take on Dokken? Yeah, I mean, I would agree in hindsight. I think in 85, I was, if I can be honest, I was still cutting my teeth more in the, the police and the Eric Clapton's and the Springsteen's. And I was, I don't think I appreciated an album such as this till later on. But when I look back at it, yeah, I mean, there's great, great songs in it. Um, uh, my take on Dokken, um, I was a little more neutral on them. I happened to just see them because they're opening for bands. Um, not really. I, I honestly think they're nothing more than a B-list band. I never really thought anything more than of them. George Lynch, sure, George Lynch is George Lynch, but I never really got on the Doc and Bandwagon. I'm not totally dissing them. I just never really got into them. It's, it's, I think they were that, they were that, you know, we talked about it, the rat type bands. They were lumped in with the hair bands, but they were really not hair bands. They just had the image of the hair band. Well, and it was almost like cool to like them. Like it was not cool to like Bon Jovi. It was not cool to no, like Oh, no, Slaughter. fuck Bon Jovi. But it was cool, but it was cool to like Doc. <laughs> You know I, what I'm saying? Yeah, I liked Rat more than uh, Dokken. I, I did too, but, you know, like, did, if you had to say, okay, let, let's get at it, right? Winger? Winger, I thought, was 
day, but they're really, they're a good band. They're great musicians, but you don't realize it when you're a punk kid. Yeah, you're just, you're goofing on them, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I can't like Winger. I can't like Bon Jovi. I can't like Slaughter, but I can like Dockin' and Rat. I made a comment when I was having pre-show discussion with Verno regarding, um, you know, the LA scene back in the day. And it was, by this point, it had gotten very astute it was you were either on this side which was the glamier mm -hmm. side or you were on this side and you were the heavier side but some of the heavier guys still had to kind of keep or they still kind of kept with some of that california image and Dokken was one of those bands when they did that um rat was another one you know they never got fully glam they were a little more sleazy kind of yeah. looking yeah but they kind of still you know they towed that line probably because they had all the chicks going to the shows i mean you know, that's back in the eighties. Everybody did it for the chicks. I'm sorry. They did it for the chicks and the drugs. That's yep. it. And you know, Ian, you're a musician. Ian's he's um, from the band Motor Lord. You know, th that's your craft. That's your, th that's your art. So who's someone to say that that band sucks if you're a musician. So uh, let's see, let's we'll stay on course as long as we're on Sunset Strip and Motley Crue. Okay. 1985 Motley Crue. Like we started this episode, fucking pink outfits, the crew on Theater of Pain. I liked uh, uh, what you said last night, Theater of Pain. Yes, that's yes. Theater of Pain. <laughs> you know, the, 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 they're coming off a shout at the devil in Theater of Pain. The music was forgettable. They've gone on record to say they really didn't even like it. Smoking in the boys' room, they had to have a, a hit with that. And they look terrible, even though they're trying to mock Aerosmith from 10 years earlier with the, uh, you know, the uh, rocks era outfits with the long stripes. We got about another 30 seconds with Motley Crue. They, they sold out. I remember 85. It was like, you, you, oh, they're sellout. They're sellouts. You know what? We'll, we'll look what they did on their prior albums, The Image. Now they're sellouts. A cover of a 60s tune and, and a ballad. But it was so one hell of a ballad, though. <laughs> true. But, but here's, if, here's if, the thing. If you liked them, you dropped them. If you were a dude that loved the rockin' version of them, you were done with them. Yeah, you're right. You go back and you look at the history, though. This was, the, you know, the, after the whole debacle with Vince Neil, Nikki Six uh, and those guys were so rampantly messed up on drugs. They couldn't put two notes together if they wanted to to save their lives. They were lucky that they were able to scab together that little piano riff and turn it into a song. But the rest of the material is forgetful. It's very forgetful. And, you know, poo-poo on Nikki Six for ruining the look that Pete Way from UFO had brought in with the striped pants that Steve Harris stole later on. Nikki Six did it, threw a freaking tux coat on top of it. That, made that's it look what I was like talking it, about. Made it look stupid. Well, you know, you before know, that, it looked great. I'm not going to defend crew, but as bad as a they got off course on theater of pain they got back yeah. on the road every album they had a different image the next one was oh, the yeah. next one dr feelgood or um no next one was girls 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 now girls, was... girls now they're bikers you know they're bikers yeah, they got back on track and and the music was a little better and but looking back this is my opinion on the crew they didn't age well and they really weren't that good they, they were really more weren't. spectacle. And it Vince Neil can't sing. He never could sing. Right. Yeah, but now. Let's no, be honest, right? No. All right. No, that, he couldn't. 
That's enough of that. Rat, invasion of your privacy. Touched on Rat a little earlier. I like Rat. I love Warren D. Martini. Um, Ian, what, what do you think of Rat? You're a guitarist. Um, yeah. So Warren's another one of those guys, one of those great guitar icons. I worshiped at his feet as well. The first time I heard the riff for Lay It Down, yep. I was completely enamored. I mean, it's probably one of the best guitar riffs that's ever been written. It just freaking slams right from the beginning. Um, and he does the same thing with um, uh, You're in Love. Yep. You know, it's got that same drop D, just that dum, 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 bam, bam, and it just slams you right in the face. The only knock that I ever had with Rat um, on those albums was a lot of their songs stayed at this kind of consistency with the tempo. Yeah. Unless it was a ballad or something more balladish. They didn't Which do they a didn't lot do of, much of Yeah, well like Dokken, you know, like Dokken would do, you know, stuff like Tooth and Nail or Paris is Burning where it was you know, that up tempo kind of gets your gets your blood pumping. Rat didn't really do a whole lot of that. They did a little bit, you know, but not not too much. But I totally loved them. I, I agree too. And I think uh I mean again, I like to uh talk over the, the imagery, right? The the album cover. It's what what you, what they wanted to get across in all their albums from the beginning, right? You got you got the Playboy oh. model on the chair putting pulling up her stockings. And let's be yep. honest, come on guys. That, that was strip club music, right? Yep. You went to oh, a strip huge. club in the mid to late eighties. In my strip yeah. club days on Friday night happy hours grabbing beers with the boys after work, you heard rat. You heard you heard one of their ten hits every time. Yeah. Yep. They were just cool. Yep. They were not. They didn't write ballads. They were cool. They were a man's right. man's band. You're talking about yeah. sexy women drinking beers, and that's it. Sure. Oh, I t- I totally agree. Um, uh, Rat. You know they had their run, but you know someone co- they died. Uh, mm. Let's see what else we got on here. Uh, Sunset Strip done. That's about it for that. Uh, How about Diamond Dave? We're going to talk about Diamond Dave. Yeah, uh, Roth, the EP. Well, we, we can touch on it. Um, you know what? We could go all day. The actual EP, I, you know, I don't mind it because it personifies what the, you know what I yeah. love about Roth. It's just yeah. you know I'm just a juggalo and everywhere I go. And then talk about imagery, the the image of the videos and. It was 85. It, hey, Dave never apologized for being Dave. You know? But he didn't know what he was going to do. He, he Nobody knew what he was doing in 85, right? Yeah, he left Van Halen unceremoniously. I'm not quite sure remembering when Sammy was announced as the new singer. but uh, Farm Aid. Farm Aid. September yeah. 85. But Dave comes in. He does this. Everybody's like, what the hell? But then you know his backstory. And you realize this was in his wheelhouse anyway. And then he takes the image forward off of like the Hopper teacher video when he puts these crazy videos out. And then you think about eat them the smile, eat them and smile to come. And then he drags out all these old standard songs on the tour in 86. And they became really big pieces of those shows. If you guys saw that. So he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And, and this is all, I mean, Verno and I agree on this. I know Lance, you do as well. Roth has his shtick that he has picked up from, multiple multiple influences and all he did was express this portion of his shtick with this ep and he pulled it off you know he didn't 
it, it wasn't, he, you know, he unapologetically, just like you said, he didn't, didn't, you know, say, sorry, or, you know, no, this is me. This is what I do. And he nailed it with those songs that came out. I mean, Christ, I think he charted with uh, uh, California girls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, you know, it wasn't a bad tune. I mean, no. Well, I mean, the Beach Boys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they know how to write some songs. Uh, but they brought the cool to it. Yeah, I'm checking cool. out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Van Halen nuts maker, so I got <laughs> whatever. But uh, 85, Dave was still, you know, he was oh, yeah. still Dave. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? What do you got? Well, what's on your list? What do you want to talk about? Let's uh, let's let's uh, let's change gears a little bit, right? Let's go live albums. All right, we All have right. So, we have uh, we have two and a half on here. Uh, we'll start with the first one. Um, well, we'll touch on uh, Iron Maiden Live After Death, the double live coming from the Power Slave Maiden at their absolute pinnacle. This was in fine Maiden fashion. Everything's over the top. World Slavery tour, you know, couple hundred shows, and then four nights at Long Beach Arena at the end. Uh, double live album. I think it's great. I fucking love, you know, we all grew up on Live After Death. It's, again, them at their pinnacle. You know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Children of the Damned, Power Slave, Two Minutes to Midnight. It's a, you know, a, a rundown sheet of their greatest hits. Ian, what's your take on it? I know you uh, have a yeah. itching over there to talk about them. Well, I mean, because I've mentioned, I've gone on record before, Power Slave from Maiden, that's my favorite made an uh-huh. album they played a lot of the great stuff from that album plus you know uh, i mean a lot of their other great material but i mean there's nothing like maiden live you know you hear them in the studio and yeah they've, they've got the magic but you can spit shine yeah. a turd a little bit you know with any kind of band in the studio if you got the right you know uh, engineer and producer hearing them in a the live context that's the cool part about it and that energy that they bring at that time. That's why I think Walt had mentioned it before going forward, you know, when you kind of step out of the seventies from, you know, the kisses and some of the albums we've seen going now to these guys. I mean, this is a, this is a have to have live album. If you're somebody that's in the live albums, you got to have it. And plus the video, the video, it's like you have a, a, oh, a video yeah. tutorial to go along with it and they did it cool. Yep. They had a little uh, different media on the, uh, well, back then, the VHS. So, you, you know, Maiden's always over-provided. Over you know, they, they've always right. gone that extra route. I never, ever have a problem with bands that capture tours and release live albums. People have always bitched, oh, another right. live album. It's like, like Maiden, throughout their career, they always, they go on a tour, they do a live album, you know? But back, but back then they um, these were these were gems. Back then they weren't yeah. done like Rush put one out every other tour, a DVD, right? They, these were special. Live After Death was special. Yeah, and I mean, come on, it's 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 the, now even you know stream from Long Beach. That's like synonymous with that recording. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Maiden. I saw Maiden on the uh, oh I can't remember what tour the two thousand tour. Um, and, and, and up in Scranton, PA, and he just decided for the night he was going to call Scranton, PA, Long Beach. I have the bootleg. And it was just funny. He was, re- he was in a jovial mood, and he was <laughs> playing around with Tonight sure. World in Long Beach. That's how much of an image that album made. Right. Uh, another, li- awesome. 
Another live album from the same period, Scorpions, Worldwide Live. Remember Worldwide Live, Ian? Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> well, well you were looking at me like I had 16 eyes. The thing I remember the most about it was when they were actually showing the live video stuff uh, back in the day with MTV, mm-hmm. seeing them showing actual live video captures for Worldwide Live. I still, to this day, don't can't recall seeing a concert video for Worldwide Live, just the album. Am I? Did I miss something along the uh, way? I think I, you might be correct. I think you are correct. Um, yeah, but just but I can album. remember. But right, but I you can know, remember them showing. You're right. This may be a personal reflection because at the time, you know, I was a big Scorpion fan. I started sure. seeing him in 82, but um, me and my buddies were into it. I have a real good friend that's a huge Scorpion fan, and we used to go back and forth. And we saw the tour two or three times. Saw it in Rochester. Yeah. We went to Syracuse later in the summer. And I remember the Syracuse show, we had the arms over the rails because back then you could go general admission. So maybe right. I have it burned into my head that I saw it several times and um, – that sort of hold on fact, fact check we're all wrong here a vh was a vhs was released at really? the same okay. time with the footage of the scorpions world tour so we're all wrong okay well okay. you know it was so that must be huh? where that must be where they <laughs> captured all of those videos that yeah. they showed but you know you were well you guys got to remember i know that verno has you know gone on record that he wasn't as big but walt you and i you know it's a little closer to our age bracket with the mtv thing all of those MTV in concerts, the Scorpions was one of them. You know, they'd have those half hour shows where they'd lump in, you know, four, five, six songs. They did it with Dio. They did it with uh, a lot of the bands. One of the other bands we're actually going to talk about, they they did it with as well. But that's what I remember the most who's, at that point. Who's the other band we were going to talk about? You said you just. Are we going to talk about Open Fire by Y&T? Well, well, yeah, we got a couple. We got Open Fire. We got Down for the Count. Another another classic live album. All right. Well, you got 90 seconds. So what do you got? Dave Medichetti on fire with his Les Paul ripping through that Marshall stack. Granted, they all were taking on the look at the time in their costumes and everything. But there's back then, especially, there was no other band like like YNT. YNT could keep up with anybody in a live setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the open fire, uh, the live uh, video, I can remember when they showed that on MTV concerts, it was mind blowing, you know, and, and seeing Menachetti ripping it in those solos, man, it was just oh, it burned right into my brain. I love it. That's a great album. Well, you and YNT, you go back, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I couldn't uh, agree more. There's nothing but good things on this album. And uh, yeah, to this day, they're still a killer band. So yeah, enough said. I think we all agree that's a that's an A-plus effort. All right. Well, we got about 20 minutes left. So why don't we um, go underground and talk about some of the heavier bands? Uh, 85 Anthrax came around with the EP Armed and Dangerous. That was sort of like a crossover from uh, the end of the Neil Turbin era. Redid some of those songs. Joey Belladonna joined the band. Danny Lilker was out. Frankie Bello was in. And then Spread Into Disease. Both these albums recorded down in um, Ithaca, New York, as well as the SOD Stormtroopers of Death, which came out in 85 too, which if you're not familiar with that, 
Uh, love that. Love it. Crossover album with uh, Scotty and Charlie Benante. Danny Lilker, the yep. the bass player that was on the first Anthrax and Billy Milano. Uh, this, this is great shit. I, I love this period. It's um, Armed and Dangerous. It's Anthrax is one of those bands, even to this day, this last little four or five albums they put coming out, uh, Four Kings and uh, Come For You, or um, uh, it slips Come For You All. Uh, Come For You All, but the, um, um, it, it slips my mind, but the last couple effort albums they've been doing have, have been really, really good. Their whole career. Uh, well, what's your take on Anthrax? You, you with them? You against them? Oh, or- I'm big, big with Anthrax. Uh, again, and, and just talking about the 85 influence here. Let's go in reverse. I, I want to talk about the SOD release first because, yeah. I mean, you talk about politically incorrect in this day and age. But, man, I wore the shit out of this cassette. My friends and I did. 15-year-old kids giggling at every little thing you know, speak English or die an anti-procrastination song that was all of 10 seconds and, you know, just everything, you know, uh, the ballad of Jimi Hendrix on all the dead stars at the end. Oh my God. Ward out, you know, they came out with other albums. They were all just as funny. I saw them one time at a little bar in Hoboken in, in the late eighties when they kind of got back together and, uh, you know, yeah, just March of the SOD was awesome. Um, but the underground album and, and you know when you go to the Anthrax guys I've been a big follower of them you know their whole career and I've seen it all and again they were a New York band they had that edge and uh, they were just uh, street kids you know from Lemoore and that kind of thing the Bronx just good stuff I mean this album's just got you know killer killer songs I mean Madhouse and Armed and Dangerous and Medusa and, you know, <laughs> across the board, just a killer album. I love them. And they were they were on the rise at this point in time, man. They were, they came out of that old bridge metal militia period, you know? Yep. So uh, this was kind yep. of the beginning of them and they cut their teeth. They would only get better, or at least they would only get better uh, for a couple of years. And then they kind of switched their sound a little bit, but it was never bad, but it just got a little different. So thumbs up on both of those guys. Yeah. Um, Ian, you're, you're I, all good. Um, I agree. I mean, everything that he said was right on the mark. I mentioned when we were doing pre-show stuff with Verno, I went back and listened to some stuff, and I, AIR, I just, I can remember the first time hearing it, kicking off that that tape. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I mean, they just, they always brought that that hardcore attitude um, with their song, and they were able to keep that fast intensity it was always just awesome. And Charlie Benanti is just an animal anyway. So uh, I'm going to go deep into the underground. Uh, Hallow's Eve, Tales of Terror, killer band from the Georgia area. Nasty Savage, Florida. Some call it swamp metal. Nasty Ronnie. That was uh, that was good stuff. And Sabotage from Florida. You know, um, we're, we're going to touch on Sabotage, but there's another band that comes from this this era trouble in the skull from chicago you know this is all stuff that they were they they definitely weren't glam they definitely weren't some of the anthraxes and some of the other bigger big four bands but these bands were um they they just killed an overkill from new york feel the fire the ep uh guys you two have a love affair with sabotage (laughs) well you go first What, what you and sabotage what do you know about them uh, I mean, I, I've covered them on our previous episodes, and um, I mean, this was the growth in the band right here. 
I mean, uh, I, I know both Ian and I love this album. I think side one is just, there's, it's just killer. I mean, the title track, it still puts chills up and down my spine now when I hear it from that opening rift. It's just awesome, awesome lyrics to it. It's just such a strong, inspirational song. It's just good. This is a complete album. I mean, yeah, you had Sirens and Dungeons Are Calling that were kind of split up with the releases and they were recorded the same day and all that stuff. But this was this was the band at, at let's say, they were really growing here. Mm-hmm. And when Hall of the Mountain King would come out in two years, you even saw that a step further. I love this album. I especially love Side One. Nothing else to say about it. Yeah, I mentioned to John when we were talking before, they're one of those bands, say like maybe an Armored Saint, say like, uh, you know, a handful of, of other bands that came out at the time, that if you didn't know that they were from the States, you would think that they were from the UK or Europe because they had such a unique metal sound. You know, they always had that... Uh, dark minor uh, symphonic orchestrated you know type Mm -hmm. thing going on yeah it took Paul O'Neill later on to help flush it out a little bit more but the Oliva brothers with the material that they were writing and I agree with you Lance that the whole first side it's this is one of those albums you put it on you play it it's done you start it over, you do it again. Yeah. It's just one of those they, albums. It's you play. They were through. the forefathers of power metal, as we we talked about a couple episodes. Yeah. They may have been the yeah. they may have been the band that coined that term, you know. Yeah. Or at least they were in that that initial handful of you know of those bands that were doing it. Absolutely. Uh let's just finish up the uh, underground, if you will. Exodus, bonded by blood, probably the uh, uh, four point two of the big four. You know, from yeah. uh, the, the Bonded by Blood, yeah. it's just their best. It's it's killer yeah. thrash right from the start. Uh, Megadeth Killing is my business. Outside of the production be a little sketchy, uh, I had a chance to see the tour. They opened for King Diamond, and um, it, I, I, I love that one. And Raven, Stay Hard, eh, you know, uh, that's that was their attempt once they got signed by Atlantic and you know, they took a little bit of a detour off the, uh, I don't think they were ready for prime time exactly on that one. And Slayer. Overkill. 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 What what do you mean? What do you mean? I just wanted to throw that in there. Oh, okay. Uh, Slayer, Hell Awaits. I've been a big fan of Slayer. That first part of their career all the way up till Seasons of the Abyss, I think is great stuff. And that covers the underground. So uh, staying on the uh, streets of New York, Twisted Sister, uh, who uh, who is a pulse on, what was 85? Come, uh, come out and play? Come out and play. Ah, yeah. They should have stayed in. They should have stayed in. You know, yeah, they oh, was, man. would they have a leader of the pack? Was that the album with the? Um, yeah, and too, and too cruel yep. to be school or school uh, to too, be cruel. Yeah, school too cool Alice for Cooper. Yeah. And this you talk was, about a band that had it all in their hands and just oh, tried yeah. to change the formula and go commercial and it yep. just backfired in their face. And they used man, up, oh, man. Yeah, they what used a mistake. Up, used all it up on uh, uh, Stay Hungry. Well, that was the thing. And Stay Hungry was, you know, it was there. Like I mentioned before, I was never a huge fan, but there were, you know, that was one of those things that kind of kept them at least slightly still connected 
to their earlier material. By the time they got to this point, you can hear a, a distinct change in their sound. The way that they were writing, the way that they're, you know, it was just another one to try to jump on a trend and it just went badly, unfortunately. Um, let's see, Wasp, The Last Command. Um, you it's know, a good what, album. what's that? It's a good album. Yeah, I like Wasp. Yeah. They're, uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to the 40th anniversary tour this year. Uh, the, the, they have a lot of material. They're worth checking out again. I remember The Last Command, what they have on there? Uh, Blind in Texas and uh, uh, Blind in Texas. I remember <laughs> yeah. that song. The video came out. Yeah, and it was so awesome. That's good it was shit, such man. A killer song, man. Chris Holmes, Steve Riley, Blackie Lawless, yep. and yep. Randy Wild pa- Child's another one. Yeah, Randy Piper, or did he take over for the drummer? But there was '85, and then Dio, Sacred Heart. Um, oh, was that the first album that Sacred Heart with the 15 year old guitarist? With, no, 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 that was the next one. This is the last yeah. one with uh, Viv. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he got replaced mid-tour yeah. by yeah. Craig Goldie. Yeah. Yeah, Dio, you know, we've gone on record through this whole series. We, we all this have an effect. You know, I, I, I'm a big Dio fan, as you guys know. I, I, I like this album, but I don't love it. I, I think there's two great songs, King of Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Children, Killer, Sacred Heart is Good, Hunger for Heaven, I Can't Stand, Way Too Poppy. The rest of it, yeah. No, you know, I know this yeah. was the big, this was the big growth in the tour where he had the yep. big props and the breeding dragon and the sphinx. Dragon, he had. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I didn't see this tour, but I do know this was, yeah, this this was the big period for Dio oh, in '85. Fuck, I did see that tour. I forgot about that dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he had it again later on. He used with uh, Craig Goldie on the. Uh, Dream oh, maybe Evil. that was it. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. A, dra- a dragon. Um, yep. Let's see. Uh, Saxon Innocence is no excuse. Not a bad album. They stay. Yeah, it just it was a little. That was like just like with the Raven thing for me. They were yeah. Stay hard. Try to follow trends. Yeah. All right. I'm going to clear the stage right now, and I'm going to give it over to Metal Wall because we're going to go uh, Rush Power Windows. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to set the clock. You get three minutes, and <laughs> oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all my time because you know. I love Rush, and in '85, I I I love all Rush. So I don't think I ever said that I didn't love Rush. No, no, <laughs> okay, not at all, not at all. But uh, well, uh, Power Windows, uh, your take. What do you think? So yeah, so this is the I, I say number three in the series of four '80s, you know, symphonic keyboard era albums. Right, this is the best, hands down. Um, Signals is second. Like it or not, this album itself for me stands up in probably the top three of the whole Rush catalog. I absolutely love this album. I mean, there's to me, there's a couple clunker songs on here, but for the most part, Big Money, Manhattan Project, Marathon, Territories, you know, Middletown Dreams, Mystic Rhythms, love every one of them. I mean, they added some of that orchestration to it, but there was just something different about this album. And the Manhattan Project talking about, you know, the atom bomb. I mean, just the the lyrical content and Neil's perspective in Marathon about, you know, the that life is not a race to the finish line. It's about the sprint and the pathway to get there. And you need to you need to make changes on course, the compass, you know, territories. You had some wicked guitar in there. Um, I mean, they, they even make a little joke about the world needs better beer. 
I, I just love this this album, and uh, it just fits from that period. But this was the best of the best in that time frame. And uh, what do you think, Vern? You you liked Rush then? Yeah, let, let's hear a little Getty. I absolutely love Rush. And then, you know, like when you go live and you hear this. They carted out these songs on the Clockwork Angels tour. I went to opening night up in Manchester, New Hampshire in 2012, I think it was. And their set in set one was predominantly from the 80s albums. And I think they drew at least three or four off of this in set one. And then they would sprinkle in different songs because they had three different set lists. And I do remember Getty and Alex saying they had this resurgence and appreciation for this period, especially this album. And they wanted to draw it back and play a lot of it on that tour and then in a way retire it. So when they came back to the R40 tour, you didn't really hear anything from this album, but it lasted for them. Maybe they didn't appreciate it at the time or maybe it was a little embarrassing, but they grew on them. Actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't appreciate it back in 85 when uh, Power Windows came out and you know i'm looking at it and i'm like ah well what kind of album cover is this and but it took those later tours for me to go and see these songs perform live to realize how great it was when you hear them in the live context when they had done some of these performances it's just like with with some of these classic live albums you know you would hear let's say kiss Okay, that first album, okay, production-wise was kind of, eh, you know, but you hear it when the, so those songs are played on a live, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I missed that? And that's how that's how uh, some of these songs are, too. Uh, I got 10 seconds left on Rush. Uh, we all love it, you know. Uh, oh. That's why they call it Mount Rushmore, right? All right, we got five minutes left. Uh, we're going to end with a little wrap-up on the Live Aid um Festival and there were some uh, heavy metal uh, connections there. Guys, you got any uh, loose ends you want to get out there? Uh, Walt, you want to talk about kicks or Ian? Uh, I want to mention Ingve marching out. I know that was a staple back in the day. I'll throw it real quick. I mean, marching out, second release, full length release from Ingve. Jeff Scott Soto singing his ass off. Um, it's just a great album for anybody that is a guitar centric person like me being a guitar player. Um, I loved it. I, I, I wore out the copy that I had back in the day playing it. You know, it was one of those ones that was in rotation outside of my Van Halen stuff, which I never stopped listening to the classic Van Halen. No, ever, never, ever. Uh, Walt, any loose ends, any bands you want to talk about? Or are you good? real quick before we get to live aid real quick is just one personal one. I loved, White Lions, Fight to Survive, another album that was very underappreciated, and I really never really got to visit this album until um, they hit it a little bigger in 87, and I went back and bought this cassette, and I, it's just a killer album. I think Ian would agree. It's, it's got all those elements of cool songwriting, good you know guitar playing, great singing, um, just a good album. I had to give it a shout-out, but yeah, let's get on to Live Aid. So listen, what else is there to say at Live Aid? I mean, you had a global event in taking place in London and Philadelphia, but forgetting all the bands, look at the reunions, the who, um, and then Led Zeppelin, 
and Black Sabbath with Ozzy, and then you had Judas Priest playing. I mean, what else is there to say? I can't remember exactly, but I think Sabbath went on at something like 5 to 11 in the morning, and Priest went on at 3 in the afternoon. It was like, oh, my God, you know? But Ozzy with the weird spiky hair back then, and, uh, you know, of course it was – the imagery was Ozzy's going to come back in, and and being the Black Sabbath historian I am, you know, I think I know here that they were at that kind of, you know, flux state where Gillen went back to Deep Purple in 84 – Tony didn't know what he was doing. He wanted to put out a solo album, which would have, would have become Seven Star. The ra- label forced it against him. And you think he was really thinking there would have been an Aussie reunion. But, uh, you know, that that was my take on that. I mean, just knowing Priest was there. You guys are a little bit more on the Zeppelin piece. I uh, You could probably comment on that. But, you know, it was part of 85. And that's simple as that. Then the Zeppelin, you know, I Phil Collins filled in on drums. And the fun thing mentioned before Phil actually played at both uh, locations that day he played in mm-hmm. London he took the Concord over and played right. with Zeppelin and the Zeppelin performance really uh, Jimmy Page was the first one to say that it was terrible it was um, you know out of tune and this and that and we don't know if uh, you know substances were in, were involved but the fact that Robert Plant the excitement was there when they came out and uh, you know Pagey comes out with that guitar and JPJ walks out and you know Robert Plant now remember this was 85 and in 80 they called it a day and Plant was uh, had success with his solo stuff pictures at 11 and you know some of those solo albums so but just the fact that bands like zeppelin and well not so much zeppelin but like judas priest and sabbath they were included in this global Mm -hmm. event when you know he had dire straits madonna um the pretenders a young u2 all these bands that were the the, went on to be hall of fame bands but they were the the hugest bands of the time and it's just you know, back then metal was getting their 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 uh, due. They had respect, yep. and it was it was an awesome event. And let's not forget the performance of Queen. We don't, we haven't talked about them a yeah. ton in latest episodes, but that was a a period of time. And even the movie they did the, a few years ago, I mean, that was recaptured. That was a beautiful, beautiful four or five song set. And it definitely called worth a call out on this show for any hard rock fans. Ian, you got to take on Live Aid. Um, I think I had mentioned to you sidebar before. Um, I was not a big fan of the whole thing at all. I thought it back then, especially was a big cash grab and a big advertisement for all of the big record mogul people. Because if you can have Led Zeppelin come back together and you can get the who to come back together, why did Keith Richards and Ron Wood play a separate set from Mick Jagger, who came out and did a whole other set. You couldn't have the original Rolling Stones come back in? No, because they didn't want to do it. I really didn't like the fact that um, they felt that they had to pull in some of these heavier rock bands, but it wasn't what I was into at the time. I mean, I was kind of beyond Sabbath, and Priest was kind of in that weird flux period. I didn't wasn't going crazy. And looking back at the history of it, they raised $127 million, but even to this day, there are still disputes over how much money actually got sent to Ethiopia and how much was stolen by the government 
of Ethiopia that never got out to fund uh, people that needed the money out in, you know, in, in Africa. It was really just a, it's a whole big cluster, you know I mean? And, but when you look at it, it's almost the setup for every big event or awards thing that's gone on since then uh, with popular uh, artists, you know, they pull them together, you know, when they had, uh, well, you guys got to remember this when uh, the twin towers came down and they had the whole big uh, uh, gathering of people there. You have people that were coming up to talk and these are the same people that get on television at all of these stupid award shows and they say these same stupid comments over and over again because they're media mouthpieces. I just, I didn't have a lot of love for it. I'm, 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 I, the thought was there, the intent was there, but I didn't, you know, other than that, yeah, it was, it was a big mark in history. That's, that's but we did have some metal representation. Yeah, no, sure. Of course. And and then to tell you the truth, I respect your opinion. You know, you have a take, but in 85, that was the farthest thing from my mind. I was just looking to get laid and score another bag. So I was was glad to see uh, Samith and Zev got back together. But hey, you know, we're here to discuss and share our opinions. So um, I got about 90 seconds left. Um, Next episode we're doing is. 19 uh 1986 the golden golden year of of metal a lot going on so we look forward to that guys anything to say before we get out of here just glad that we were able to get together in this new uh this This was awesome this just this was good impromptu and uh loved loved the last hour okay great well uh, i want to thank uh uh, Ian O'Rourke and uh, Metal Walt for coming out and uh, playing tonight. Just want to remind you about our live radio show behind me. You can see Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio. Three hours of metal. We have a chat room. We have uh, tunes. I host it. A lot of good shit going on. Visit our website, MetalMayhemROC.com for past shows. Rate, subscribe, review, all that happy horseshit. All right, we're out of here. Thank you for listening. And always remember, what do, what do we do, Ian? Keep it heavy. See you guys. Take care. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at metalmayhemroc.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.